Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for tuning in. I am so glad to get to share this little bit of time with you today. I want you to find victory and life in Jesus Christ. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say this, that we are learning how to live as God's people reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. I want to encourage you to look us up on the web at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. You can find us on Facebook as well. And these podcasts are posted on our church website, so you can find them there, and you can subscribe to always get that next podcast. Let's turn our attention to this week's message. In Scotland, overlooking the town of Oban, you will spot a strange, ancient-looking structure. But it's not as old as it looks. It's no Stonehenge or even a Roman structure like its builder intended it to appear. It's a 45-foot-tall wall that stretches 600 feet in circumference, and it's known by two names, McKegg's Tower and McKegg's Folly. The man who wanted the tower was John Stuart McKeg, a wealthy banker. He wanted the tower to imitate in its architecture the Greek and Roman style. He loved that very much. He especially modeled it after the Roman Colosseum. All that was ever built, though, was the outer wall. And ultimately, the tower was supposed to house an art museum and an even taller central tower that was going to be a monument to his family that would include statues of his family. McKaig invested what amounts to over a million dollars in today's money into that structure. Construction began in 1897, so it's not that ancient as it might look. And it ended shortly thereafter with his death in 1902. His family wanted nothing to do with the project. Today, that tower, that high wall, dominates the town. It is a public space, and that it is rather weird-looking, at least it has a beauty of its own. McKeg didn't count the cost. This is literally a story of an unfinished tower. And no matter what happens, that structure, McKeg's Folly, will always be haunted by the history of its failure. Today I want to share a passage of scripture from the Gospel of Luke where Jesus talks about counting the cost. And he also uses a picture of building a tower. His message is this, to be successful, to reach the end goal, to... Follow him and enter into eternity, you must first count the cost. And that's the big idea that I want you to latch on today. Holy living, because we're talking about holiness this year, holy living results when you have counted the cost of following Jesus. If you don't count the cost, you will struggle with living a holy life for God. Let's go ahead and read the text. It's from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. 
Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples." This teaching of Jesus is incredibly important and incredibly difficult. I've yet to meet anyone who is comfortable with that phrase, hating their family. What on earth is Jesus asking you and me to do? What's going on here? He's asking us to count the cost of following him and living a holy life for him. He's asking us not just to count the cost, but to count all of the cost. I know myself that if there's something that I don't like or I dread, I avoid it. I can get away with avoiding minor things. But the more important something is, the more costly it is, and the consequences of avoiding it are far greater. And Jesus is saying, you've got to count all the cost, and most of us are unwilling to count the costs of the greater things in our lives. Here's our first point here. Failing to count the cost of following Jesus leads to frustration here and now and failure to reach the goal of heaven. The cost that Jesus is asking us to count is not the price of salvation. You cannot purchase your salvation. Jesus has already paid that price on the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 20 says, "You were bought at a price." Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6 says, talking about Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. The cost that Jesus is talking about is not for salvation. That's free. But it's the cost of following him, because Christianity does have a cost. And Jesus illustrates that cost with two pictures. First is about building a tower. You need to know the cost so that you know what it takes to finish. And the second is of a king saying, or evaluating the cost of war. He's trying to decide if he can afford the battle, and ultimately he weighs the cost, and knowing the cost, he's able to then keep order, keep chaos out, and sue for peace. Absolutely, Jesus is speaking about the cost of following him and the goal of heaven, But he's also talking about what happens to you right now in this life if you fail to count the cost. And those who try to live life without counting the cost of following Jesus will find themselves in conflict and in crisis and unable to handle those situations. Failing to count the cost will lead to a world of stress. J.C. Ryle in his book on holiness, he's got a lot to say about counting the cost. And and I'm going to mention uh, four of his costs that he believes that all Christians should evaluate. But Ryle contends that it's, it's not salvation that we count the cost for, because Jesus has paid for that, but it's the cost of following Jesus. And he says it like this. Ryle writes and says, we are to live according to the standard of the Bible. It does cost something 
to be a real Christian. There are enemies to overcome, battles to be fought, sacrifices to be made, Egypt to be forsaken, a wilderness to be passed through, a cross to be carried, and a race to be run. So, failing to count the cost is very dangerous, and failing to count the cost leaves you ill-equipped in a moment of crisis. Failing to count the cost is dangerous, because all of us will have to choose between something you did not believe was part of the price. you got to be ready for those moments. So what is the cost that we are to count? And that's the second big idea today. The cost is always about valuing Jesus above all else. There are a lot of costs that we could talk about But every specific thing we could mention in a sermon today, all the specific costs, come down to this one idea. You are being asked if you will value Jesus above all else. And so I mentioned I wanted to talk about uh, J.C. Ryle and what he says are four areas of cost that the Christian should count. And all of these areas reflect this. These are areas that challenge you and me wanting to put something above Jesus. So, the first area that we should count the cost of and then be willing to relinquish is self-righteousness. Now, no one likes to be called self-righteous, but every one of us struggles with valuing our own authority, our own independence, and our own ability to name what is right and wrong. We'd love to, uh, to have that authority above everybody else, including God. Ryle writes, it's harder to deny a proud self than a sinful self, but it is absolutely necessary. Counting the cost says God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the ultimate authority in my life. And that also means that you and I must submit to what is said in God's Word, the Bible. Not doing so leads to a lot of trouble and a lot of pain. William Law illustrates this in his book, A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. He tells a story that in many ways sounds very absurd, but it's true of you and me when we disregard the authority of God and his instructions to be holy. So, the story goes like this. It's a little long, but I want you to bear with me. And I know his wording is maybe not what we're comfortable with the way he uses language, or we use language today, but hear this little story and I think you'll get the picture. William Law writes this, Let us suppose a person is placed somewhere alone in the midst of a, of a variety of things that he did not know how to use. That he, was by, that he has by him bread and wine and water and golden dust and iron chains and gravel and garments and fire. Now, let it be supposed that in his thirst, he puts golden dust into his eyes, that when his eyes smart, he puts wine into his ears, that in his hunger, he puts gravel in his mouth, and that in pain, he loads himself with iron chains, that feeling cold, he puts his feet in the water, and that being frightened of the fire, he runs away from it, that being weary, he makes a seat of bread." Let it be supposed that through his ignorance of the right use of the things that are about him, he will vainly torment himself while he lives. And at last, he dies blinded with dust, choked with gravel, and loaded with irons. 
Now let it be supposed that some good being came to him and showed him the nature and use of all the things that were about him and gave him such strict rules for using them as would certainly, if observed, make him the happier for all that he had and deliver him from the pains of hunger and thirst and cold. Now this is in some measure a representation of the strict rules of Christian religion. They relieve our ignorance, save us from tormenting ourselves, and teach us to use everything about us to our proper advantage. Man is placed in a world full of a variety of things. His ignorance makes him use many of them absurdly, as the man who put dust in his eyes to relieve his thirst, or put chains on to remove pain. Wow, that's quite a lot to take in and think about. But I think that's a picture of what a lot of us do. We're running around this world, not really regarding what God has said everything is for. And we're trying to decide and declare, this is, it's for this purpose, for my life. I'm going to use it this way. And we cause ourselves a lot of pain. God has given us instruction in how to live. He's given us instruction on in what is good and what is evil and what is holy. And when we disregard his instruction... We choose self-righteousness over the righteousness of Jesus, and that's a dangerous place to be. The second area that Ryle talks about, the count the cost and then be willing to relinquish the the area, is sins. Now, I use the word sins and not just sin, because uh, we often struggle to count our sins, the cost of them. Too often we want the benefit of Jesus and we want to manage and keep our favorite sins. Maybe not the sin nature, but we have that one thing we're not ready to let go. We cannot do this. We cannot keep the benefit of Jesus and of little sins. Ryle writes again and he says, There must be no separate truce with any special sin that you love. You must consider all sins to be your deadly enemies, and you may, must hate every false way. The third cost that Ryle says we should count and then relinquish is ease or comfort. Too many people only want Jesus when following him is easy and makes them feel good. Please don't confuse comfort right now in the immediate moment, with the blessing of heaven. Too many of us are chasing the right now instead of eternity. That's forgetting what the goal is, eternity with God. And that's a failure to count the cost. That is starting to build a tower and halfway through changing your mind. There's a documentary about Ernest Shackleton's uh, early 20th century expedition to the South Pole. And uh, the documentary showed the classified ad that he ran in the London newspaper. It said, men wanted for a hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. People responded to Shackleton's advertisement in droves. Why? Because the mission was clear, and the reward was deemed worthy of the cost. Will you part with ease when it comes to following Jesus? The fourth area is favor from the world. That one's a hard one, because we like to be liked. One of the great costs of following Jesus is that many people in our world today think Jesus is foolish, they think he's fictitious or outdated. And when you stand to follow him, they'll call you all the same. 
and you must decide what to do when someone hates the Jesus you love. Especially when that person is close to you and you care about them. What will you do? That's a hard moment. That's a heartbreaking moment. But eventually you will have to count the cost and be prepared. And that is why Jesus' teaching is so uncomfortable. It's easier when those that dislike you are far away and you've never met them. But when they are your father, your mother, your spouse, or brothers and sisters, the cost is much higher and it's more painful. Jesus is telling you, though, that no matter how precious the cost, you need to choose him. No other choice leads to eternal satisfaction. Counting the cost is not easy, but there is a comfort here. And that's the last big point I want to make today, is that Jesus has counted the cost for you. Jesus speaks about counting the cost while uh, this whole teaching that I've read today in Luke 14, he's talking about this while he's traveling to Jerusalem. He's heading towards his arrest and his crucifixion. He knows more than any about counting the cost because Jesus has already counted the cost for you and for me. He knew the price. He knew that nothing less than the Son of God sacrificing his own life on a cross was what was going to be needed for you. Think of that for a moment. God dying. That, that, that idea by itself is beyond comprehension. The most powerful being in creation, the creator of everything, experiencing death. Why on earth would he do this? It's because Jesus counted the cost of you and your existence, of your life, and found that you are worth the cost, his own life. Before the very first particle of matter was spoken into being, Jesus knew that you were worth the price, and he knew that the cross was the price of creating you. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 33 through, um, it's Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 5, says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly, heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Before he even created, he chose you and he counted the cost for you. And God has asked you to count the cost of following him. Here's the good part. He doesn't ask you to do that, counting the cost, without also doing it himself. So are you willing to give up anything that stands between you and Jesus? Because if you let anything stand between you and him, you will come up short. One more quote from J.C. Ryle here. He writes, A cheap Christianity without a cross will prove in the end to be a useless Christianity without a crown. In other words, you need to be willing to pay the cost of bearing your cross for Jesus. If not, you've got a useless faith. Real life happens. Real faith happens. A holy life happens when you count the cost. You cannot afford to put it off a moment longer. Please choose Christ. I want to close with a prayer that's written by Julian of Norwich. 
she writes these words, and I think it's a good word for us to pray about knowing the worth of Christ in our life. So let's pray this. O God, of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough for me. I can ask for nothing less than what is completely to your honor. And if I do ask anything less, I shall always be in want. Only in you I have all. Amen. Will you count the cost? Go with Jesus.